Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek. That's our presenting sponsor since 1973. We have basketball and NHL in full swing, college basketball, concerts, wrestling, operas. My mom buys opera tickets. I keep telling you this. I'm not lying. She buys opera tickets. She really wanted me to mention this on the podcast. She's convinced that I talk about my dad too much on the podcast and that that she gets a shortchanged. So now I have to talk about her opera habits. But yeah, SeatGeek, everything can be done on SeatGeek, on your phone, with just two taps. Everything is fully guaranteed. It is the easiest way to shop for the best tickets, thanks to their revolutionary grading system that will literally steer you one way or the other with tickets. They have colors. It's so easy to understand. Try it out. Download the SeatGeek app today or go right to SeatGeek.com. We are also brought to you by the Ringer NBA show and the Ringer NFL show because I was on both of those this week. I hosted a Ringer NBA, or I co-hosted a Ringer NBA show with Chris Vernon on Monday. We broke down the Boogie Cousins trade. Check that out if you missed it. And then on the Ringer NFL show, Mike Lombardi and I talked about some free agency and, uh, and some trade subplots that are kind of on our radar. Because right now, everyone is focused on basketball. So we thought, you know, there's some football stuff going on too. We put that on the Ringer NFL show. You can subscribe to both of those on iTunes, on Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get that stuff. And we're also brought to you, obviously, by TheRinger.com. That's where you can find my column every Friday, give or take, mostly, almost all the time. Fridays, TheRinger.com. Yeah, that's where I am. So... One thing before we get to this podcast, we taped it last week. Um, had some really fun podcasts lately. If if you fell behind, or if uh, if you got swamped, I get it. I'm not. My feelings aren't going to be hurt. But uh, but we're on a really good run right now. And and I think once football ended, I really wanted to double up my efforts to have fun conversations with all kinds of people. And this is somebody that qualifies. One of the better thinkers that I've ever read about um, the tech industry and just everything, tech business, where things are going, all that stuff. And I'd been dying to have him on, but he lives in Taiwan. So it was a little tough to pull off. But he was in town last week, and we just had a whole conversation about really where stuff's going. And Facebook, Amazon, Snapchat, Google, all these places, how they're going to affect the next 15 years of my life. I think it's really worth listening to. I think you'll enjoy it. And here it is. Here with Ben Thompson from Stratechery. 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 I'm better Stratechery. at Stratechery. Stratechery. <laughs> it's like the same problem I have with Croatian names, where I don't know the itch or the ick. The, the name, the problems with the name. Yeah, I, when you talked about how the months you spent to like come up with the name, the ringer. Easy like, to spell, I, easy I, to I pronounce. I probably should have done that. <laughs> Stratechery. Stratechery. When did you start this site? I started it in 2013, but it became a full-time job in 2014. So coming up we on three years, we became like you had no choice in the matter. No, no. The goal is to the, the goal is always to be my <laughs> my own choice in the matter. So I remember reading you way back when I was at Grantland at the time. We're like, who's this guy? What's going on? It's coming. Is this like? Is this a fake name? Is this somebody who's <laughs> living in Silicon Valley who knows this stuff? How did you 
like what was the process that led to you knowing so much about this stuff when you're not in that world? Well, I've always been sort of, I was obsessed with technology from a very young age, basically like junior high on when I first found out with this stuff. And I'd always been attracted to the sort of business side of things all along. But I kind of grew up, I mean, I grew up in small town Wisconsin, never, no one I knew worked in Silicon Valley or business or anything like that. So it never even really occurred to me to do it. Yeah. And it wasn't until like, well, as well in my 20s, I'm living in Asia. And my wife, who I owe a ton of credit for, she's like, why don't you go work in technology? I'm like, yeah, I should probably do that. So I got an MBA mainly because it was the fastest fastest route to legitimacy in the U.S. job market. And um, from there, I went to Apple and then Microsoft. And then I started the started it was at Microsoft. But it's like it's that 20 years of like in the wilderness, just doing nothing but thinking about this stuff. And then, you know, I wrote for the college newspaper and like stuff like that. So I, you know, I had some sort of experience writing, but you know, it's, it's people ask me, well, how do you do what you do? Like, well, you got to go back to junior high school and like obsess over this for a really long time. And that's basically the, uh, how it happened. When you started it, how many times were you writing a week? Well, I actually started it with a goal of, cause right now I write four times a week and yeah. one's free and three or four pay. And I always wanted the extra, I always had the, I started it with the goal of it being a business. And so many people like just write a ton and then they throw up a paywall. It's like, Oh, sorry. Now I got to pay. And it's kind of like this really nasty taste in, in people's mouth so I always wanted it to be I would if you wanted to pay you could get more so I actually purposely did about two times a week to start and with the idea that eventually if you wanted to pay I would write for you every day and then when I have time to do it and what do you remember what you were writing that first year like what kind of well it's was funny it big picture stuff or was it little picture no stuff I've always both? been sort of like so the thing I write about is like basically the strategy and business of tech because tons of people write about products, right? There's yeah. all kinds of blogs writing about tech products. But to write about business and strategy was kind of an unfilled niche, mainly because all the people who know that stuff all ha- are either like executives at tech companies or the VCs or, or stuff like that. So ironically, all of them subscribers to your, to your thing. Now. <laughs> well, They're like, who's this guy? Now. Yeah. <laughs> so so, I, so I'm writing, writing about this and the... Uh, and so I was always running with that sort of big picture stuff. The, actually, the guy I owe a ton to is Steve Ballmer, of all people. So I was at Microsoft, and I couldn't write about Microsoft because I was at Microsoft when I started. And a few months later, I quit Microsoft. And I quit two days later after I quit, he reorganized the company, which I thought was a terrible idea, and all the reasons were dumb. So I got three great articles out of that that were pretty widely spread. Then a few months later, he he buys Nokia, which was a terrible deal. That's the still the highest traffic day in the history of my site because I was in Taiwan and it happened in European time. So I was awake and knowing the US was. So you had like the first piece? So I had the first <laughs> piece, like the worst deal ever or something like that. And it was everywhere, like wow. cra- crazy. And then and then he got fired. So I got another whole series, what Microsoft should do next, going forward, blah, blah, blah. So he like carried the site for the first nine months. So th- thanks, Steve. I, I, I appreciate it. I, w- I have to say, for the record, I was throwing about the Clippers. It's like his destiny in life. I think it's it's awesome. I love watching the sidelines. So I have no enmity of the guy. His destiny in life in a good way or a bad way? No, in a good way. I think it's great. Like he did. I can't say it's been going great. Yeah, (laughs) he did a lot for. I think he gets a bit of a bad rap. Like a lot of Microsoft's problems were sort of, you know were going to happen whoever was the CEO. I don't think he necessarily made it better, but but he did a lot for Microsoft growing up to make Microsoft what it was. So he gets his reward. Now he gets to be an NBA owner, which we would all love to be. So right. good for him. So in the last, so you start this four years ago and over those four years, like so much shit has changed. Like think about it. Apple had the biggest lead you can have and just was on the all time hot streak. 
you had Twitter, which everybody was like, oh, when Twitter goes public and what's say and Twitter basically looks exactly the same as it did four years ago somehow. Yeah. Well, it was the same as like eight years ago. That's kind right. of part eight of the problem. Eight years ago. Yeah. yeah. 2008. You had uh, Snapchat, which was a baby, which was interesting, which was, but nobody really knew where that was going. And um, so many, they, it's just so tumultuous and it flips and it goes and it goes this way, that way. Um, why don't we start with Apple? Um where do you see Apple going these next few years? They have not had a quote-unquote hit in a while. And the problem for Apple is that the iPhone was basically the greatest product in the history of products. And the reason was it, it was Greatest like, or most successful? I mean, whatever you want to call it. Okay. I give it all kinds of superlatives. Like It was the old model where you manufactured a device and you sold it for a profit. But it was like differentiated by the future, which is like software and services and the cloud and all that sort of stuff. And I don't know that there will ever be a product like it again, just because the world's changing, right? Now we like rent cars, like or we get an Uber or whatever. We don't buy, buy yeah. we don't buy stuff. And I think that's going to be the case more and more. In this, to have this one device that sells like that is never going to happen again. So the problem for Apple is not Apple per se. It's the where's the market opportunity for Apple in the long run beyond just kind of like milking, you know, the iPhone and it's associated stuff for, for as long as they can. I'm going the other way. I think Apple is totally fine. And I think they are judged almost like how we judge LeBron. Yeah, that's fair. Where LeBron like just can't win. It's like, he's got to win the title and win the MVP every year. And, and everybody is so desperate to just be like, Oh, the next guy, Hey, it's Curry. Hey, it's the unicorns. And, and we're, and that's just the way it goes with some of these people. Brady felt that Brady, had the same thing, then Brady wins the Super Bowl, then it flips the other way, oh, Brady the GOAT! And that's just the way it goes. With Apple, it's like, they still dominate the app market. They still have a huge hold in podcasts and Apple TV, and anyone who has kids probably has Apple TV if they can afford it, and the Macs, the iPhones. They're able to release this phone that people buy, even though they just bought the last one eight months ago. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, iPads, which I know hasn't been as maybe big as big as people thought, but... I read just about everything on my iPad. Yeah, well, I know because I, I get I get lots. Of, I, I get send tons you of emails from, from my iPad. Yeah, I was just gonna say I get I usually the emails iPad. I get. He says sent from iPad. <laughs> it's some crotchety old man complaining about something, and plus Bill Simmons. Which <laughs> I, mean, I mean, draw your own try your own conclusion. Beautiful four paragraph emails. I can type really well on my iPad. I like the iPad, and uh, I don't know. I think Apple's fine. I think people keep expecting them to come up with the next unbelievable thing. And it's like, how many times can you do that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, you said you took the other side, but I agree. I mean, there's, there's, there's always been an Apple's doom narrative for as long as Apple's existed and it's always been stupid. Well, no, it wasn't stupid back when they were doomed, but uh, for the last right. 15 years, it has, it's been, it's been stupid. And actually, you know, the other, I started writing about Apple a ton at the beginning because that was the last Apple was doomed. Samsung was on the rise. Oh and, yeah, remember that? Samsung had its little day in the sun there. Yeah, well, I mean that was one of my that was one of the articles that got me a lot of traction early was I wrote like Samsung's in big trouble. Like they're they and that was right at the peak when they were when they were high and like Apple's totally fine. And that's been the case and and they will continue to be fine. The iPhone's going to keep selling. Like you no well, one especially knew the wireless charger thing. It, if that's real, that's yeah. a that's a big innovation. I mean, it, it, but the other great thing about iPhones is you drop them and they break and you and like they wear out and yeah, the batteries yeah. get old and like and it's so essential to your life and it's going to stay essential to your life for a very long time. So like they're going to stay 
tremendously profitable and powerful for a long for a long time. So when I say that the the market's not there, it's more like there's not going to be another iPhone. That's it. That's that's more the uh, the observation as opposed to they're like going down the tubes. You know, like like Twitter I think they missed some like opportunities. You know, but I also think it's a gigantic company that was up to a lot of different things. And sometimes you miss stuff. Like, I think they could have owned podcasts two years ago. They just could have taken them off the market and just owned it and had everybody's. Yeah. And they chose not to. And I think it was a mistake. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know that anyone was even aware of that. And, and, and I think they still have a chance just because the podcast market is like crying out for some someone that provides some sort of metrics around it you know, to really enable advertising to, to take root in a deeper way than it does. Like all the after is now, like, you know, like they're all long-term purchase or like either big purchases like mattresses or something like that, or stuff that you buy and you use again and again. So you get like a lot of lifetime value from it to like the branding advertising. Like, you know, that's much harder to sort of justify just, you don't know how many people are listening. Like, you know, downloads, maybe it's always a little sketchy, like who's measuring and what, but beyond that you have zero visibility. Well, for the sponsors, they can tell us with the URLs and with the offer codes, stuff like that. They have some somewhat of an thing. But you're right. Like, but that doesn't me- work for like Coca-Cola, right? That only no. works for like big purchase items. Well, the other thing can- is big, bigger companies are always four or five years behind of everything. Yeah, so like true. in 2020, Coca-Cola's going to be like, hey, podcasts, what's going on here? You know, and we felt that I never really paid attention to this stuff that much until we launched Grantland. Because up until then, I was just writing about sports and um, but then Grantland, it, when we were working on it and trying, we knew podcast was going to be a part of it because the podcast was so essential what I was doing, but started thinking about a podcast network and then it's, they remember YouTube was throwing around all that money Yeah, in 2000, late 2011, YouTube's like, Hey, we have a hundred million dollars. Who wants it? And we were at Grantland. We were like, we'd like some of that. Can we have? And it was so complicated within ESPN because on YouTube, they run the ads at the beginning. Right. ESPN's used to controlling all of those ads. So they're like, well, if we do that, what if we have a deal with Subway and they run an ad for Jack in the Box? And so by the time it played out, we got probably half as much money as we could have. But um, but I was just so fascinated by the mechanics of all these different decisions that these big companies made. With They just get behind something, they go. And YouTube, within a year, that was done, right? And when you're making contact, you're just trying to figure out, all right, is this a short-term thing? Should we grab it? Or is this a real initiative? And the ebbs and flows of that, watching that since 2011, it's really riveting. Yeah. It's it's really I mean, like Facebook sports. Facebook is a big one now, right? Facebook's they're a big one. Throwing money here and there, and now they're not throwing money here and there. Yeah, and- Facebook li- a year ago, live, live. We want live. You want live? You want in? You want? And now it's like, now, now they're not into the live as much. And, you know, sometimes I'm sure it's trial and error. But I think part of the problem with the live content is that a lot of it was just guys sitting on their couch. Like we are right now? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> hey, we're live. We're live. Uh, all right, but what am I getting? I'm not getting quality content. I, Facebook to me is, I, I just think if you had to bet on anyone, I'd bet on Facebook and Netflix. Because they just have so much capital and so much money and they're just throwing it at content. And I don't know. It's, it's going to be really hard to topple that. Amazon's the other one. The, and Amazon, the, yeah, yeah. The, the, what's what's terrifying about Am- Amazon? What's, what's terrifying about Facebook is because Facebook has their audience is so overwhelming. Yeah, like basically, content producers have no choice but to do whatever Facebook wants. 
So they just have like they don't, they don't even need to pay people half the time because people yeah. will just do whatever they want because they have no they have no choice but to do it. Yeah, that's what they were offering with Facebook Live. Do Facebook Live? Well, why? Because we'll promote it. It's like, okay, but yeah, you know, but that's what they can do because they're Facebook. Yeah, it, well, the, the thing with Amazon is so, what's so terrifying is because they're monetizing Prime Video with you know with Amazon Prime, right? And they're like thinking how much money can we make off this guy for the next 35 years, right? So their time scale is so extreme yeah. that they will throw, they will spend all kinds of money to like make this, make the service more valuable. I mean, Netflix is already eating everyone's lunch because they have a longer time frame than anyone else because they're thinking about, you know, we can, this show will not just be attractive to our current customers, but will help us get new customers in three years, right? I mean, if I sign up for Netflix today, Orange is the New Black or whatever is like still compelling for me to watch. And now they have the international market, so they can reach way more people. So like, oh, we we come into Hollywood, we got like a five year, ten year time frame. We can just outthink, outbid all these guys. Amazon's like, oh, nice time frame. We got a fifty year time frame. <laughs> like, watch us, watch us walk in here. So I mean, all the all the Hollywood guys are are kind of screwed, right? Because they're they're so short term in their thinking. Yeah. And in part because TV was a short term medium. You it's linear. You only watch it. You know, you're all focused on that first first run. And these guys are focused on like runs years down the road. And it's just it's a timing mismatch. It's almost impossible to sort of compete against. Netflix also has the luxury of they added 7 million subscribers in the last quarter. Right. No, exactly. You know, that's a shitload of money. Whereas you have ESPN going the other way where they're losing subs. Yeah. You know, every quarter. But um, I where Netflix goes with all the shit they're building, like. I almost feel like it doesn't have a ceiling. Yeah. I, when I you're agree. spending $6 billion a year on content. Yeah. They're doing a thousand hours the, of content this year or something I like that. I was saying to somebody, it's like the difference of, of, you know, they can take, like if this was football, they're competing against other teams. Like in football, you'd be like, oh, we have, you get a first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round pick, right? And Netflix has like a hundred third round picks. <laughs> right. Well, so you, you talked the other day of the, the, your dream Patriots trade. They go back from, yeah, they, they get the number two pick and then end up with the entire yeah, third round. Netflix is Belichick. They're like, yeah, we, oh, oh, we have another third round pick. And they're just throwing it at like, hey, Jason Bateman, want to show? And then they're just throwing them around. And they really only have to bat like two for a hundred. Yeah. And if they have Make It a Murderer and they have uh, Stranger Things and that can carry their whole business for, and they, they can, I mean, they've missed on so many shows and they've spent but the shows so they miss, much what's money. What's so about the shows they miss on is the, the shows they that are hits drive new subscribers. They hear about it. But the shows that miss, those new subscribers, like I want to watch something, they flip on Netflix, there's something else to watch. Yes. Right? There's always stuff to watch on on Netflix. And yeah, and the other thing that's, the, I mean, when Netflix figured out that, that the whole on-demand thing, it didn't really quick for a long time but remember when netflix did that stars deal right that kind of got the streaming started so stars library was eleven thousand movies right yeah the effective library size for stars was actually only one it was whatever movie they were showing on the stars channel right the day netflix started streaming that catalog their effective catalog size was eleven thousand because they could stream because you had it all on demand and it was such a mismatch in consumer like what people came to expect from tv and the way they could think about monetizing that that yeah again this is the tough thing in business when someone comes at you and their business model is just totally different than yours yeah like i mean you're 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 screwed i mean it happened to microsoft google did it to them with with when balmer was there you know it's happening here in hollywood so 
remember what was the thing Netflix did? I'm going to say 2008 or 2009. They spun off their service. Yeah, the the uh, what was it called? Something flicks. I can't remember. Like they, the DVD service. It was and a it bad was, name. I can't remember what it was. And it was like a joke. I mean, yeah. they they got annihilated for it. And at that point. You would have thought Netflix was going to be in the toilet. It was time to buy stock, man. It was, yeah. it was way down. Yeah. It was like, wow, these guys are just idiots. They don't know what the hell they're doing. Yeah. And I, to me, it's like one of the most unbelievable business stories ever where you had all these different networks who all should have been thinking we should start our own streaming services ourselves. Instead, they just do the quick buck and they sell their libraries to Netflix. Yep. Netflix grabs all the libraries from everybody. They use it to build this subscription business that allows them to make so much money that now they can produce content. So and now they, they get rid of the away, it doesn't matter because yeah. they have all their own stuff. So all of these networks collectively, it would almost be like if if you had the ten best NBA teams basically started a league that crushed the NBA and didn't mean to, you know, like the, the G league, this Gatorade league they're doing. Yeah. We'll fund this. And, and it just got out of control. And yeah. now all of a sudden Netflix is the biggest competitor. No, it, it, you, and you see this again and again though. And now all these studios are stuck. All the networks are stuck because Netflix gives them so much money. Yeah. They, they can't stop now. Like, yeah, they're addicted. Like crack. They're, they're like crack addicts. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and the, you, yeah, it's a it's one of the most classic stories of like uh, you know the, this business term you hear all the time like disruption or whatever. But that actually is what it's like. Where Netflix came in with a different business model, serving people who weren't served by the by the the current companies. Like people wanted to watch whatever they wanted at a certain time, and they come in and the companies are helpless. They're like they're literally helpless because they cannot stop selling to Netflix. They cannot stop funding the company that is their imminent demise. I it's remember amazing. when I was at ESPN, when we sold, like we were just so delighted that 30 for 30 was profitable. And it was this, we had created this thing that, you know, we're paying, I think it was like 500,000 per documentary. Right. So we do 30 of those cost 15 million. Yeah. Get plus like you're throwing a couple extra million for the ones that went over promotion. Um, the, the time on the network, maybe maybe all in, it's twenty five million if you just add everything up. And then what we didn't realize at the time was that it was evergreen content for ESPN. Exactly, that stuff's gold. Yeah, which I wish I wish I could say like I knew that I told them, but right? we just didn't. We were just trying to do good documentaries. We didn't know the Fab Five would be on two hundred and forty times, and that anytime a playoff game ended early, um, a playoff series ended up early they could put the fab five instead of game six and get a half decent rating. it's just the evergreen content yep. is really what's great about it. And that's why Netflix doesn't do sports, right? Because right. they all, they want all evergreen content. Right. Right. So we, at some point um, when Netflix was starting to buy stuff, I remember we sold 30 for 30. It was either Netflix or Hulu. I think it was Netflix. And, I can't remember what we got, but it was like, yeah, they paid this and they they have all the third, third. And I was like, that's great. What a great. And you don't think like, yeah, we're helping feed this beast. <laughs> yep. We're giving, we slaved over this series and now Netflix just cherry picks it for this small price and they're just cherry picking everything. Netflix was like, they had none of their own stuff. Yep. House of Cards was the first show they actually made. Yeah, and even that, they didn't really own that many of the no. rights of it, right? They only had U.S. rights. They, and they, even some of the other stuff they're doing, they're buying English shows, pretending it's a Netflix show, but it's really some <laughs> right. show that was in England. I think it's amazing. I, I can't believe they built a business out of what they did. And meanwhile, they're pumping all of it into technology. Hulu also. I think Hulu is really good, too. I mean, the Hulu is handicapped because they're owners, 
and right. are so worried about preserving their current businesses. Like Hulu is, I think, like the 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 salvation for like the networks. Right, the, yes. Hulu should be their big play against Netflix, but they just they they're incapable of committing to it. But you know what's interesting though? Hulu is has people think of it now as the TV place. Right. Where I watch my the TV shows. I get to see Saturday Night Live the next day, and I get to see the ABC show and all that. They actually have a ton of movies. Netflix has scaled back on their yeah, movies. Netflix is TV now. It's, it's, yeah, Netflix it's, is basically a lot of their own content. Hulu is the one that's investing in the movies. HBO, like if you go to HBO Now or HBO Go, their movie library is big. Stars has a big movie library. Um, it's it's the on-demand culture. When you have kids, but you think about it though, but it's, you it's, have small ones, right? Yeah, well, uh, nine and five. So I'm, I'm oh, nine and five. Older. Okay, yeah. The on demand is when you have kids, it's huge. Yeah, but you think about it, the entire culture and all of Hollywood in general has shifted to prestige TV in, in like what what True. is like the really dominant stuff. So yes, they have movies, but in some respects, that Netflix's focus is basically on that sort of content. You know, in HBO is that's really their bread and butter as well. Is in many respects where where things are going, and that lends itself to binge viewing, like you know, so so much. It's like you just sit down and just watch, you know, ten episodes at yeah, once but like on a Saturday at, or what something. What was that Crown? The Netflix, the the show about Queen Elizabeth. I don't know. I, I, I think it's called The Crown. Fifty five episodes, <laughs> and and it's like game of thrones level quality and they're just banging those out this would be you know hbo makes a couple big shows a year that they invest in whether it's game of thrones westworld or the same thing for showtime like they have homeland and they have billions and right they're making four or five bets netflix like in its spare time like oh oh and here's the crown and they're just <laughs> cranking these things out i don't know where it's i don't know where it's going well i mean they're all because they're all spending against the future, right? So Netflix yeah. takes on a lot of debt, right? Their cash yeah. flow is way negative. And so they're – but but when they did that last year, we're like, oh, we just flipped the switch and now we're in like 250 countries. Like that was such a power move because it's like we are creating content. And now when, when they did the OC uh, – not the OC. Um, what am I thinking of? Was it called the OC? What was the big hit last summer? The 80s hit. Oh, the Stranger Things. Right? Stranger Things. Yeah, sorry, yeah. why did I get the OC from? The OC. Maybe the OA. Oh, the OA. OA yeah, that's yeah, what I was yeah. thinking. Of. You're mixing five shows. <laughs> <laughs> the but that was the first one where they actually produced it from the very beginning because yeah. they've been buying shows until now, right? But when they produce from the very beginning, they're keeping all the profits and all the rights for everything, and you're going to see them doing that more and more. It's more expensive. It's more risky. But now. Be, they're getting to the size and strength where and it, that just means the long-term payoff for them is going to be even higher than it is going forward. And the, the thing I always think about is so like Silicon Valley, all these companies spent like 25 years eating each other. Like, yeah. it, it, and, and then the internet and mobile came along. And so like, let's stop eating each other and let's like look at the rest of the world. And everyone's just like these helpless, like, little animals are you know, running right. around are these like lions and tigers that have honed for, like 25 years of evolution just coming in and just like destroying everyone i mean you said everyone here's like i just want to make some really good content and that was like okay you can make some good content. that's nice and they're yeah. like we just devoured your entire business by the way yeah where do you see amazon fitting into this amazon is amazon's the biggest monster of them all like wow, anyone. So when you're in the Thompson Power Rankings, Amazon's, Amazon's one. number one. Yeah, really. A, okay, in a in a clear lead. Clear lead. No. What makes Amazon Amazon's goal is to basically take a skim off of all economic activity. 
Okay. So you, the most obvious example is AWS, right? They have this, this this monster where they they have infrastructure in almost all new companies and lots of old companies. They run all their servers on Amazon's infrastructure, and they pay Amazon. Basically, they're paying Amazon like a, a fee or like a tax on like all, everything that they do, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a very clear example what they're doing. But e-commerce, right? Amazon started as a traditional retailer where they buy a bunch of crap and then they sell it to you or good stuff too. But now Amazon's shifting over time where they're just a platform. And basically what happens is third-party merchants pay Amazon to hold stuff in Amazon's warehouse. And so Amazon not even paying inventory costs. They're, yeah. they're paying them for it. And then when they sell it, they pay Amazon like 15 to 20% commission. And so Amazon's not even... They're like a loan shark. They're just a middleman. And yeah. they, they do all the fulfillment. They do the same with logistics, right? They're, they just announced this $1.5 billion air hub, like next door to UPS. Yeah. And they're buying planes. Like, oh, we're just, we're just going to help our partners, right? They're not going to help their partners. They're going to build like baseline capacity and spikes like what the other guys take care of, which is a terrible business. And they're going to own all the logistics, right? And it's, it's not just the business, though. It's that Amazon itself... The way it's constituted as a company and the way they they're just they're a systematic company that is systematically built systems, if that makes sense. Like and the way that they generate these new companies is repeatable in a way that all these Silicon Valley companies are all product companies. Right. They make they make a great product, make the iPhone, they make Google search, they make Facebook and those can be great businesses, but those aren't trillion dollar businesses. Trillion dollar businesses are ones where you build platforms and people just build entire companies on top of you and you just take a skim, take a skim. That's what Microsoft did for a long time. Amazon's doing it, but like 10 X and Twitter. Oh no, wait, Twitter's not doing that at all. (laughs) Twitter, Twitter is a, Twitter (laughs) is a product company that doesn't know how to build a good product. (laughs) Why? What is your, I mean, I've heard a million theories on this. Why is Twitter so incompetent? I think the root cause for Twitter's incompetence is the unbelievable sort of managerial turmoil at the very beginning of the company. The, they I mean, just they never recovered from they, it. They never recovered. The initial idea was so good. Yeah. It, it, and it almost like handicapped them. It was so good that they never had to figure out. Like most companies, they kind of have an idea, but they have tested and they get like what's called product market fit. They figure out, oh, this is the right product for the market. And then they go and they build it, right? Twitter's initial version had like almost perfect product market fit from day one. So they were free to, on the side, they could bicker with each other and fight about stuff. And basically the product has barely evolved in its entire life. Everyone's like, like, Barely oh. is like a compliment. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> like, oh, Twitter, 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 Twitter they're, they're young, they're growing. Twitter's an 11-year-old company. Like th- th- this is an old product. That looks effectively the same as it did in 2007. Yeah, and, and the they had a, mo- like Twitter could have been, Twitter could have been a monster. It should have been this sort of platform where all kinds of apps run across it. They're like a, they're basically like a protocol, right? And then they should, they should be the ad network inside every other app. They don't necessarily need to monetize. On Twitter. Also, they could have monetized it. I mean, there's why they, couldn't it be? Well, the data, the data is so valuable. They five be- tweets a day, and then every tweet after that, you got to be a Twitter premium, and you got to pay ten ninety nine I mean, a month. They like, won't even do that. The problem is you're limiting your audience, right? People don't like to pay for, pay for that. But they, you they, don't have to if they if they got five tweets a day. <laughs> if you want to do more than that, pay. Well, well, if you I, want to have more than 140 characters for a tweet, it's a nickel per character. Like, well, I mean, there's a million things they could have done. Well, just look at the world where twi- tweets move markets, right? Yeah. And Twitter earn, barely earns anything on, on their data. Like, they just sell off, like, data streams. Like, they give it to give away to Google. Like, I mean, it was like, oh, Google should acquire Twitter. Twitter did this deal with Google, like, a year ago where they gave Google all their tweets 
And it's like, so Google, they, Google basically bought the company without having to pay a dime for it. Right. I mean, it's, it, it it's mad. Yeah. It's, Everyone sees the downsides now, but those those seeds were all planted, you know. When your eight, attitude is, "Hey, man, if it's if it's not broke, you don't fix it," <laughs> that's never worked in the history of mankind. No, and that's hasn't. also led to a lot and look of at Facebook. The- right? Facebook's like Snapchat's coming along. We're gonna f- take Instagram, one of our most valuable properties, and we're gonna potentially fuck it up. Oh, that's right. We're not in East Fanning Square. That's right. Yeah, and we're gonna totally put swear. stories in there, and it's a total ripoff. But you know what? Like, look at the scoreboard, right? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it matters. Like, it, you don't get brownie points for all these companies. Like, they get so hung up on being, quote, unquote, innovative. The fact that matters to come up with an innovative product is, like, when the hardest that resonates is impossibly hard. Startups do it because they have no choice. It's the only way to succeed. Once you're Facebook and you have a shit ton of money, why wouldn't you go buy people? Why wouldn't you rip off stories? Like, you have the audience. You have the trump card no pun intended you like i mean you can do hey, we need a new phrase that's better I know, than trump card uh, he's ruining everything if you if if it ain't broke don't fix it has led to a lot of sports disasters <laughs> with teams and leagues and just everything you got to keep moving facebook's done a, a pretty good job of moving twitter has done i mean there'll be books and documentaries about it at some point i just, mean you 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 know you've heard the zuckerberg quote about twitter right I don't remember. Twitter is like, what is it? Twitter is like if a clown car backed into a gold pit or something like this, or a pit (laughs) of gold or something like that. His quote is actually much better. I just totally butchered it. But it's the perfect encapsulation of the company. But they had so many smart people behind the scenes of it. I mean, maybe they had too many smart people. That could have been part of the problem. Yeah. You look at all the people who were involved behind the scenes, and it's a who's who's list of successful people, and yet they couldn't figure it out. I think that's part of the problem. There was a lot of conflict. There's also a part of the, a lot of the, you know, they caught lightning in a bottle. And was that because they were really smart or were they really fortunate? And now everyone thinks they're really smart because they got really fortunate. Yeah. Well, if they get rid of the, if they handle the troll problem and they figure out a couple different ways to innovate over these next if, year if, and if a half. If basically they change their behavior from the last 11 years that's as the a thing. company. It's the same thing. Like if you're talking about a terrible sports team, that's it's been it, all, like, well, if the Browns get a quarterback and they get the red coach <laughs> and it's like, well, they're the Browns. This exactly. It's because it's cultural. It goes to the very core of the company. Yeah. And it's the same thing with sports teams, right? They're just, they're just, they're just screwed up. I'm a Milwaukee, I'm a Milwaukee Bucks fan. I know this very, very well. Right. You, at, you know, for us, the light in the tunnel is always a train. Right. You know, and like, I think that's the same thing with companies, right? It's just, you you are who you are, for better or worse. That's interesting. The bu- that, that has to be the first Milwaukee Bucks Twitter comparison. <laughs> it feels apt. That's ever happened. I'm trying to think who that's more insulting to. I think it's better for the Bucks. Like, it's probably the best thing that's happened to the Bucks since the 2001 Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. Or 2000. Then, what was it? No, so so who are the refs in this scenario? Oh, one. Have you gone on internet at deep dive about that? I, Bucks I, Sixers. Oh, we the, we were doing deep dives the day it happened. I mean, there's a long footnote in my book about it. Yeah, I read about it. Yeah. Uh, about how that was. Everyone always focuses on Kings Lakers. No, that Shaq one was way worse. Bucks Sixers was worse. Yeah, and really could be like there were just utterly, utterly indefensible calls. Like even the Lakers Kings ones, there was some bad calls, but a it was lot really of them were like two games, right? Exactly. Yeah. But even some of them, they're like you could at least concoct a story where that was like the right call there were fouls in that buck sixers series that were 
Well, what was the it, free throw advantage? I think was like one eighty to one fifteen yeah. or something, and 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 Philly really was an outside shooting team that just had Iverson go to the basket. Yeah, they, like compared to their season averages for free yeah. throw attempts, it was wildly out of whack. But then Scott Williams got suspended before yes. Game Seven, like yes. an hour before. Oh, that was, it was another unbelievable. one. Oh. Yeah, it was bad. I mean, it was bad in the moment, and people were talking about it in the moment, like this is really fucked up. What is going on yeah. here? It's that, that 1999 to 03 stretch in the NBA. There's rough. a lot of chicanery. A lot of it was pre-internet. You can't do that stuff anymore on the internet. Yep. You have to be much more. Oh, it's, I mean, it's uh, incredible. It's so like I loved it when when LeBron just destroyed Barkley like last week. Yeah. Because I not just because he was right, but also the way Barkley talks about like today's NBA. Yeah. When like from any objective measure, it's it's such a vastly better product than it was. Particularly it's that period. different. It's different, but but stuff like that, right? You can't get like it's so much of like a cleaner league. Oh, true. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, not just the quality of play, but everything about it is so much better than it was. I and mean, the NBA always had super shady shit kind of going on, like in the eighties and nineties, right? Like, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I think every league did. Yeah, I think it's a lot easier to, or it's a lot more risky to do stuff now. Like in 2017, if you were just going to suspend somebody's quarterback for four games. <laughs> Oh wait, that just happened. Bad example. Um, no, I, I I do think that for the most part you have to be more careful. It's, it's like Facebook versus Twitter. Like as far yeah. as like like one's like bumbling around, what is he doing? And the other one is just like just executing. And That's like, another just boom, where boom, I don't boom, know boom. who got insulted more there, Goodell or Twitter. <laughs> oh, I think Goodell is Goodell is probably more better and more successful. Yeah, I mean, no, he makes forty-four no, million a year. No, this is the point I was making about people are thought of as being smart because they are fortunate. Right. That's I think a Goodell is an apt, apt example of that. So is Twitter salvageable? I don't think so. You don't think so? I love Twitter. It's it, I love it probably more than salvageable. any product that that I use. Like I would, I, I love the iPhone. I would rather have Android and Twitter than than uh, an iPhone and not not Twitter. I just, it's, I feel, especially the last few months, it's gotten so toxic. Like, it's getting toxic to the point where people, if you have any degree, and you weren't this, you don't even look at your replies anymore, right? If you have any degree of visibility on Twitter, it's, it's awful. It just, and I, I I don't know, maybe I'm, it it might be just that I've become more visible, so I'm more aware of this. And so I think the product's gotten even worse, or the atmosphere's gotten even worse, but it feels like it's, it's kind of crossed a line in the they last, could, last they few could months. They could fix some of that, though. I think that stuff's <laughs> fixable. Or at least some of the troll stuff. I still feel but like... But the problem is, the, the, there's tons of stuff that are super obvious and they haven't done them yet. I mean, the problem is, they, I think they won't do them because I, I think there's only like... I think the actual number of real users of Twitter is is much, much lower than the number that they report. Oh, and especially like the... I You know, I think I have like 5.5... I don't even know how many followers I have. And I, I guarantee I don't have whatever the number is. Right. I bet it's half. Well, Maybe I mean, less than half. Not just that, but even I myself, I control like five active Twitter accounts. Yeah. I have one for like my website, so one that, for my yeah, podcast. What does that mean? Right. Well, they're all calling as active users. You're one users. person, right? Right, exactly. And and then you have all the spam and stuff like that. Like this spam is not hard to kill. Like this is a solved problem and they don't kill it. Why? Well, they active users is like the most important metric that they have kind of you'll draw your own conclusions and as long as they're they need to be bought out they they have to be private whether they're bought by but who's going to acquire them like no one it's who wants to deal with this who wants to have protesters because the trolls and all that stuff makes it a very scary thing for somebody like disney right exactly like oh bob or or trolls yeah that's not what about snapchat 
I mean, Snapchat's like the cute. Everybody, everybody thinks they're just adorable right now. Oh, those wacky Snapchat. Oh, believe me, they're starting to get. They're going to get starting heat now, especially once they. I just on the results record, are out. I like. Well, I like Snapchat. I like the way they think. I'm pro Snapchat. So I am pro Snapchat because I think uh, Evan Spiegel is a product visionary of the sort. Yeah. Like we haven't takes seen chances. in years. Yeah. No, I, mean, I mean, he is the best consumer guy I think in tech since Steve Jobs. Like I, I, I think he's that good. The problem is that Snapchat doesn't have a good business, and it and yeah. well, the problem is and it, well, one Facebook and, and Google are so dominant when it comes to advertising; they they need to figure out how to break into that. Two, the fact that Instagram could basically rip off stories and. That wait, could, wait, wait, why'd you say basically? <laughs> okay, directly. It was, that was a flat out Jay Leno ripoff. But what but what actually matters is that Instagram has 500 million users and Snapchat has 150 million or 200 million, whatever it is. And what actually matters for social networks is how many users you have. And Snapchat's growth slowdown has slowed down significantly, and it's perfectly correlated with that happening. Yeah, and that's that's not a good that's not a good sign. And they have other stuff like they're the, if you want to get into technical details, like their how much it costs to serve one of their users keeps going up, so mm. they have like a cost problem. And basically, you bet on Snapchat because you believe in Evan Spiegel, and I actually think that's a valid reason to bet on them. But it is a pure bet. Like the it, they look like a real company, but they are a they're not a real company yet. From a business perspective. So I have an 11 and a half year old daughter, Snapchat Instagram user, on Instagram more. Yeah, inst- But I've been inst- told about a year and a half from now, it'll sh- really shit to Snapchat. Right yeah, now, she's like, like Snapchat filters and likes changing the pictures, stuff like that, but really loves Instagram and just going through the photos. And I have to say, man, it's, Instagram's just a good product. Yeah. It's like, here's some photos. Just scroll through. It couldn't be easier. It's You turn your brain off and you rip through them. Yeah. And it's not going away. I love Unbelievable the, acquisition. Like one of the oh, all-time yeah. greatest. And I love the fact that Twitter is still, like like Twitter is even in the ballgame with this anymore. They're so petty that if you do an Instagram link on your Twitter feed, it, it stays the, the link. It doesn't translate well, it to the picture. You know, it's it's like, funny. come on, Twitter. Tw- tw- so Twitter gets Get a lot of grief for that. But the reality is, is that Instagram is the one that screwed Twitter. Because Instagram got started by basically you could import your entire Twitter contacts into Instagram and you'd have an instant network. Yeah. So Instagram built their network off of Twitter's back. And by the time Twitter Rose was going on, it was already too late. Like Instagram had already done it. I mean, the real... So Instagram's just shameless. <laughs> Basically. Instagram will take your wife or husband in five seconds. They, make a, they, they have great engineering. They build a really nice product and combine with shamelessness. That's a powerful combination. You, yeah, you, seriously. You have, you have great, great skills and shamelessness. You can go far. Jeez. Any uh, up-and-comers you see? Anyone in the conversation that potentially three years from now? I mean, f- the consumer space is, it, it, it's like the sexy space. Everyone knows about these companies, but it's by far the most difficult space to compete in. I mean, and especially now, because Snapchat, it, all these consumer companies monetize through advertisements, but Facebook and Google are so utterly dominant. Like, in all the, Facebook and Google took like more than 100% of growth in advertising last year because other people were shrinking. And, and it, it's just almost impossible to not necessarily to get a breakthrough product, but like Snapchat showing Snapchat has a huge number of daily active users. They have this super attractive demographic, right? And so they have a chance. But if even th- them with their massive audience and their great demographics, if it's a, still a real question, they can build a viable business going forward. Like it's it's hard to see 
what you know what works there in the future. I mean, what you can I just hope Facebook acquires you. So, well, so it's 2017 now. We only have technically three more years left in this decade, the 2010s. And you and you think about it that way, we're more than two thirds of the way through the decade. What have been the great innovations slash companies that we're going to remember when we think back to the 2010s? Like if you look back at the 2000s, it's like Facebook, Twitter, Netflix. Yeah, we have all the all these things you point to. What is it for this decade? Well, I think it's it, it is the companies like Uber and Airbnb and 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 things like that. Where so you'd say Uber, Airbnb, Snapchat. Those are probably the big three from a sort of consumer perspective. Um, Pornhub Premium, yeah, Slack has no, Slack has potentially be, being here too. Oh um, yeah, Slack. I'm that. See, Slack is my favorite of the last couple of years. Yeah, I'm, it, I'm drinking the Slack Kool Aid. We use it at the Ringer. We have a hundred Slack channels within our little Slack. What's feed. fascinating about Slack is it's kind of like a consumer. It's a very much a consumer product. Like yeah. it, it, it feels like a consumer product and it spreads like a consumer product. With an enterprise business model where you, you know you, you pay per seat on a license sort of thing, yeah. Uh, so it, it's very compelling. I, I'm I'm pretty bullish on them as well. But what what's represented by this Uber and Airbnb thing kind of goes back to my iPhone thing at the beginning, where we're moving to this world where you you rent stuff and everything is as a service, right? right? If you think about it, there's so many things we use in our life that we buy just because. We don't use it very often, but but now that we have a phone with us all the time, internet connection all the time, it's so much more viable to just use stuff Tate as right you now. need it. I rented him for two hours. I, the app was really surprising, a little more suggestive <laughs> than I thought it would be. But Yeah, I, I agree with you on the renting thing. I, we're going to reach a world where you almost don't need to own anything or have any long-lasting relationships. <laughs> You could just be in your house and you could just order VR sex and order food and Uber wherever you want. You just have no attachment. You're like the like Robert De Niro in Heat. You can get away from everything in your life in 30 seconds. Brave new future. Yeah, that's where we're going. Uh, so what do, you, what do you see for the future of what you're doing? I mean, right now the best thing is just keep, keep doing what I do. I make money from subscriptions. And the great thing is, is like... I just do the same amount of work I do now, but my income keeps going up because, right. you know, sending emails, sending emails free. Yeah. So it's funny because I read a lot about media as well as well as tech. And I read about all the problems that this new world order has for traditional media companies, like zero distribution costs, like all the stuff that makes like Netflix possible. Right. Yeah. Meanwhile, all those bad things for old companies are all to my personal benefit. Right. So I'm, I'm probably not a, a That's completely funny. biased observer about that stuff. Do you? When was the first time you had somebody in a real position of power reach out to you either to sway you or scold you or both? Um, Twitter got really mad at me a couple yeah. of years ago. I wrote I wrote something um, pointing out a an anomaly in some of their their financials they're like that's not true well six months later then they go that was true yeah it was true yeah um, probably the funniest one though is i have a i have a service that handles like my memberships and they emailed me said oh these three people we accidentally double charged them you know we already fixed it but you might want to let them know and one of them was like the ceo of like a top five company i'm like <laughs> oh my god i don't think he's, i don't think he's gonna know but like that was probably the wrong person to screw up his payment so um that was that was pretty cool because i like i give all this advice companies and you should you know understand your customer blah 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 blah, blah. but like i have actually structured it so i don't need to know who my customers are like i my price is relatively low ten out you know ten dollars a month and i i like it that i can do whatever i want and if someone gets mad and cancels subscription 
like I I don't even notice. Right. And so like I almost feel like the more I know who's reading it, it's almost it's almost a bad thing. I'd rather just be like, you know, sitting in Taiwan and, you know, being as true to what I think is possible and not worry about what people think. And that gets harder the bigger you get. I'm sure you experienced this, right? When you were writing for AOL back in Boston, oh you can just God. fire off whatever you want. Once you're, I'd like to think I kept doing that at ESPN, much to their chagrin, <laughs> <laughs> for better or worse. Yeah. yeah, I think there was definitely at ESPN the first uh, few years when I wrote for them, the internet was still kind of down there. You know, I'm pointing down. To right, the floor. right. You were down in the basement. Yeah, it's just like ah, oh, well, he's on the internet, and then gradually that shifted. I think '04 was a big moment for my column on the website because when the Red Sox lit that whole run and I was leading ESPN every day and it was like a national columnist basically which hadn't really that hadn't really happened before right um, so there's these little victories that the website had and then at some point in the mid 2000s all of a sudden it became like the establishment but I, I don't feel like that was the case the first few years I was there and then I started noticing like around 07, 08 that's when coaches and GMs and right. commissioners and assistant commissioners right. and all of a sudden it was like oh shit like people care. everybody's reading yeah. our website yeah you know I, know I never exactly what you mean yeah yeah was, you could just kind it's of like you feel, feel you feel very change. gratified that they're reading it but like oh the, yeah you the, feel the validated. Sense of responsibility and like pressure like totally skyrockets because it's like you really can't screw it up now well and that and also I think it makes you this is going to sound bad but it, it really makes you think about what you're writing about people. Yeah. And I realize the first, especially at my old site, I was just too mean, but the first couple of years at ESPN, you're writing and you're thinking like, well, they'll never read it. Or that's not really, they're like these people that aren't people. Right. And then when you start crossing paths with some, it makes you think like, Oh shit, put some thought into this. Like that this, if I'm going to really eviscerate this team and they're going to read it, I want to make sure I'm fair. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons I like your stuff is, in the wrong hands, your column could be, you know, a real menace to that, to the, you could really use some of your, some of your sway that you have at this point in a really negative way. And you don't, you try to be fair. It's still hard though, because I, I honestly think one of the advantages of living in Taiwan yeah. is that you're not going to run into these people. No, it's true. <laughs> I mean, San Francisco is so like incestuous, right? You think Hollywood's bad. I mean, like, it's, yeah. well, it's actually probably very similar, right? You go to a coffee shop, talk about tech. You go to a restaurant, talk about tech. Like it's a tech, 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 tech. And not just that, but everyone switches jobs. You know, every two years. So the person you're thinking about criticizing, you might be working with or wanting to invest with or whatever. And so not being there, I think, is a little liberating. And but even now, now that I know more and more people like you feel it. I mean, there was um, probably the most direct column I've written is I wrote that uh, the former CEO of Twitter should be fired. And like he had like he he'd reached out to me previously about something I wrote and it was very complimentary. And like. When I was writing that, like that that note was like in the back yeah. of my head. I felt bad, right? It's like he was so nice to me, but like I felt it needed to be written. Yeah, and I stand by it. I think it was correct, but it's true. Once you start actually building any sort of connection, it becomes way harder. And and it's well, and also kind of keeps you, me out of San Francisco, honestly. Yeah, I had it in Boston because I was always writing that Doc Rivers should get fired. Right. And I was writing as a fan and just like, this guy sucks as a coach. We got to get rid of him. I don't know if the media is protecting him. And I was wrong because I was overrating, you know, he was better than I was giving him credit for. I don't think he did a good job until KG showed up. But that was the first time I really realized, like, 
I should be I should be framing this differently. Like I'm I'm writing this like it's 1999 on the internet, right. and I should I should be a lot more fair than I'm being. And I, I think, you know, I I, th- I think when people use their platforms, in uh, it, it could be dangerous. And we, by the way, we've seen that at the highest level of our office right now. <laughs> like you could have a high platform, and it could be dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, know, you should have called your website Made in Taiwan. If you had to do it over again, over stratechery, stratechery. Well, the, the only problem is, what if I move? <laughs> still getting it wrong. I, 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 I'm, I yeah, I like the uh, the Vucevic, Vucevic, uh, Vucevic analogy. Vucevic. I think that's that's a good one. <laughs> Made in Taiwan's a good name for a website. Yeah, but is that? I mean, what? what, what I guess is it? it wouldn't explain what your thing is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it would be taken in multiple directions. We'll put it that way. <laughs> what's like? What's? Give me one thing that. I'd be shocked to know about Taiwan in a good way. Cause I know nothing about Taiwan. I literally know nothing other than that. Their little league teams have been really good. Uh, Taiwan is the like 14th richest country in the world. Like a lot of people think about it like as a developing country, but no, it's super modern. It's, it's okay. like, um, I, the way I say about Taiwan is Asia is like incredible, right? There's all these amazing places to visit. You asked me where to visit. I, I wouldn't know where to start almost, but if you're looking for a place to live, it's a phenomenal place to live. Like okay. the people are great. It's pretty English friendly. It's easy to get around. You're in Taipei, 30 minutes from the mountains, 30 minutes from the beach. It's um, so no, I'm a big fan. I mean, the, the big reason I'm there, my, my wife from there, I, yeah. I met her you know, after school. And so we're close to family. And the, the other great thing is because I write a daily, a daily newsletter, right? So I work in Taiwan and I press publish at like 6 p.m. And seventy percent of my readers are in the U.S. They wake up, it's in their inboxes. Oh so yeah, it, it's actually time zone advantage. Yeah, it's a huge advantage actually. When I I come back to the states every summer with my kids to bring them to Wisconsin to my parents, and it's 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 hard, man. It's hard to be on U.S. time to write for a U.S. audience like that. So, um, is it's there a great Taiwanese country, food? Oh, that's that's uh, different than than like yes. Chinese food, Japanese food. Yes, Taiwanese. It, 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 like, what is it? it it's is its it? own. So there's a um. Oh, so their most famous thing is like they have like these night markets and lots of like interesting concoctions and stuff. But just to general Chinese food, like there's a Luro Fan is a very famous one. It's like this slow stewed pork that's cooked for like because, you know, street food. Right. So it's and like you have stews. rice. No, it's like rice with like pork okay. on top and stuff like that. Then there's uh, there's fried chicken. There's all kinds of noodles and rice dishes. It's well known for the cuisine. People ever, go there. In, in my life, nobody has ever said to me, hey, I found this new Taiwanese restaurant. We got to go tonight. No, I mean, you've been have you been to Din Tai Fung, like the dumpling place. Okay, so that qualifies. Yeah, that, that's Taiwan, that's Taiwanese. Okay. Yeah, there's um. That, that, I that, think they I think they need better PR. They probably do. In in Asia, I think Taiwan's pretty well known for being a food destination. Like people yeah. go there. It's like it's not great for like food from other cult, other countries necessarily, but Taiwanese food itself. Oh, beef noodle soup is like it's a oh. Taiwan's super famous for that. Some incredible places. Um, but yeah, the food's a good thing. If, if you ever come over, I can, this is leading to a text from Joe house about the beef noodle soup. <laughs> hey, he's not going to care about anything else we talked about. It's like, Hey, so Ben talked about beef noodle soup. Where do I get that? That does sound really good. It is good. Um, all right. So stratechery, stratechery, S T R A T E C H E R Y. And what's your Twitter account at Ben Thompson. Anything else we need to plug? Uh, I have podcast exponent exponent.fm. Um, talking about, basically talking about what I wrote about Stratechery a lot of the time, but my, my co-host is a uh, Australian guy. So, um, and we get along pretty well, so it's pretty popular as well. All right. Nice to finally meet you. Thanks for yeah. coming to the podcast. Yeah, happy to be here. All right. 
All right. Thanks so much to Ben Thompson. Remember, we have one more Bill Simmons podcast coming up this week, as well as a column that I'll be writing for TheRinger.com. And uh, don't forget to check out The Ringer NBA Show and The Ringer NFL Show. I talked to Mike Lombardi on The Ringer NFL Show and talked about the Boogie Cousins trade on The Ringer NBA Show. Oh, I forgot. On Channel 33, I went on Bachelor Party with Juliet Littman and Mallory Rubin. Yeah. Lively. Almost a little raunchy at times. Gotta say, they 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 bring out a little bit of a raunchy side that I'm, I usually don't unleash in the podcast. But we had a fantasy suite conversation that, uh, you know, it wasn't quite NC-17, but I think it might have been rated R. Anyway, check that out. Uh, check out the old podcast that we've done the last couple weeks if you missed any. And come back soon on the Bill Simmons Podcast. Thanks to SeatGeek. Don't forget to go to SeatGeek. Download their free app. Go to SeatGeek.com. See you Friday. <laughs>